Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Johnny, and welcome to another episode of Invest Like a Boss. This is episode 13. I'm back here with my co-host, Sam Marks. And this week, we are talking to the co-founder of Pure Street, Brett Crosby. Yes, indeed. Another exciting episode. It was uh, very fortunate to get Brett on the call to do the podcast. He's residing and their office is in Manhattan Beach, one of my favorite places in the entire world. Very envious that when we did the recording, it was about five o'clock his time and I was just imagining leaving the office and walking down to the Manhattan Beach Pier and having a nice IPA and watching the sunset. Yeah, Southern California is a beautiful place and it's one of the few places in the world where there is a consistent kind of um, you know, 25 degrees Celsius or, or 80 degree weather throughout the year. And we were actually just talking, uh, I was talking to my buddy Chris out here in Poland, where it's beautiful, uh, but you know, it's summer and it rains randomly. Uh, and he's, he was saying, he's like, this isn't just Poland. This is pretty much the rest of the world where you have unpredictable weather, <laughs> you know, even in the winter. I mean, even in the summer, you'll get like a wintry day. And it's just because we grew up in Southern California that we're used to that weather. Yeah. I mean, you're lucky. You grew up in California. I mean, Florida's got pretty good weather as well, but the you get the afternoon rainstorms. I'm in Singapore now. It's almost the exact same. But Southern California, almost everyone who ever goes there just never, never wants to leave. If they can find work, they just never want to leave. Uh, maybe one day in the future. Um, so yeah, we had Brett on and Pier Street. Man, Pier Street is such a cool new platform and product. Um, I actually invested in Pier Street before I even contacted them. I heard about it up in Chiang Mai, Johnny. Uh, one of our buddies, Colin, mm-hmm. we were talking about peer-to-peer lending, and so he was also doing Lending Club, and his recommendation was to do Pier Street. So I took a look at that. And then everything that I heard from you about your experience with Lending Club, it was interesting in the whole, but more in the sense of peer-to-peer lending, because I'd never really looked into peer-to-peer lending. And after talking to you, I was really intrigued by peer-to-peer lending, but I immediately saw red flags with Lending Club's model. Um, so when I heard about Peer Street, it was, it was quite interesting. Yeah, so both Sam and I have our personal money invested in Lending Club, and not that they are a bad platform. If anything, they are a pioneer. So I'm very thankful that they exist because mm-hmm. when I first invested in Lending Club, I think almost two years ago now, there was not any other options. That was one of the first, or at least the biggest, peer-to-peer lending sources. And I just love the idea of being able to invest my money somewhere, uh, diversify it by giving out a bunch of $25 loans instead of you know, investing it all into, into one place. And be able to get returns that are way higher than a traditional, you know, a savings account or, um, mm-hmm. you know, really anything out there that was out there at the time. So I just logged into my Lending Club account and it, my net annual, my adjusted net annualized return, which I believe is pretty accurate um, because it adjusts for all the past due notes as well as the defaults. It's still six. And a half percent. So it's not, not mm-hmm. terrible, you know, not bad. But both Sam and I have realized there are new alternatives like Pier Street that are very similar, as in you can uh, you you can you know you can diversify your loans. There's still type uh, type of peer to peer lending, but instead of Lending Club kind of being a way where 
you know, you have no real control, uh, and you don't. There's no remorse uh, if someone defaults <laughs> with yeah. you know with uh, Pure Street. It's backed by real estate. Yeah, and not to bash Lending Club because I, I agree with everything you said. I think it in, on their website they say ninety nine point nine nine percent of people make positive returns as long as they diversify over. 100 different notes the people that they, they get burned they go in and put all of their money into like four notes or something so if you diversify historically you make positive returns um and so there's it is a good option for a lot of people the only reason i didn't like it because i felt that i would get emotionally attached to the loans and when i see a loan go into default and i know there's no re like kind of recourse on that I just feel like I would be taken in a sense. Um, most people leave the emotions out of it. For me, it's a, it's a little bit more, I guess, close. Um, so when I started looking at Pier Street, the first thing that stuck out to me was they had never had a default. Now, I think Lending Club's been around for a little bit longer. And Brett in the conversation says, inevitably over time, they will experience a default. But the good thing with a default in this sense is it's backed by real estate. And as the lender, you have the first lien rights on the real estate. So your principal should uh, very much so be secured in this. Uh, and the other great thing I liked about this was there's a 12-month term, uh, minimum term or maximum term that you can choose. So that's the maximum. I think he actually did analysis on my 16 loans and my average was only nine months, which is great. Uh, nine months is a, a window that I'm, I'm happily... Uh, I'll happily lend in, but with Lending Club, my minimum is 36 months, and I think a lot of your loans are actually like 60 months or something, right? <laughs> five yeah. years, five years. <laughs> yeah. So at the time I invested, I you know there wasn't really any any other options, so it was three you know uh, three years or five years, and with the five years, mm -hmm. I got slightly better returns for it. So I was like, okay, let me let me mix it up. So half my loans are five year loans of Lending Club, half of them are three years. Uh, so both what you know, I, I don't have any regrets that that I that I invested in Lending Club and I'm not trying to pull my money out you know as soon as possible I'm not going to try to mm -hmm. even figure out if there's a way to pull it out because I, I I've a, I'm pretty confident it'll still make money I mean unless there's a global um, or, or US you know um, recession where everyone all of a sudden defaults at once and if they do <laughs> you know what Everything's That's never happened out. before. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, you know, nobody can predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen, and even if it does yeah. happen, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, as long as you know, I'm pretty diversified. I think I have I have about five thousand dollars in there, so it's not the end of the world for me now. Even though that mm -hmm. was pretty much the majority of my money uh, when yeah. I did uh, invest in it about two years ago, I have just paused my automatic investing, and I, and I believe you have as well. So we mm -hmm. are leaving our money in Lending Club, letting it, you know. Uh, Letting people pay back the loans as they do, uh, I'm still making money from it. I'm just not reinvesting the, the the money. So before you're before you turned off the automatic investing, it meant that as money was coming in monthly for the interest the interest payments, that money was automatically being reinvested in new fresh thirty six or sixty month loans. Right? Yeah, correct. Uh, it, it would. It would reinvest in the type of loans that, that I had kind of mm -hmm. you know set up for my profile, but now yeah. it's just moving into uh, 
and into basically a I don't know I, I guess just a side account with them, and then yeah. it looks like I can just withdraw it into into my checks my checking account uh, pretty easily, just two clicks. Cool, nice, yeah. So I guess that's what my account will be set up for. So I have a funny story because I actually I started the Lending Club account after Pier Street more as an experiment. I funded it and then I turned on automated investing, and then Johnny and I did the next. The, the last episode, we talked about London Club a little bit, and Johnny's like, eh, I think I'm going to pause mine. And mine was like halfway through vesting, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I want to pause mine too. I don't, I'm going to pull my money out. So I paused it, and then that night, after a glass of scotch or two, I'm like, um, you know what? I'm just going to go through with it, and I turned it back on. And then all the, the loans vested or went out, and then I immediately had regret. I'm like, no, no, I can't get this money back for 36 months. But anyways, it, it'll be... Part of the experiment, I guess. Yeah, and I guess some t- some tips for everyone listening out there is don't invest money uh, after midnight or after a couple glasses of scotch, <laughs> uh, and listen to our advice because you know even though we are not financial advisors, uh, you know I we really do have your best interest in mind, and I'm not even I like it's not even like I'm telling people what to invest in. I'm telling people what I'm personally investing in, what I'm personally doing, and they can follow along the journey. And, and that's kind of yeah. the, the way I've been with, with everything, with my businesses, um, you know, my online websites, as well as now investing. Yeah, I like it. So I just got a really nice email from Peer Street that says you've received dividends. So this is my first, these are my first dividends from peer-to-peer lending, which I'm really excited about. And actually on this episode, Brett says that it's paid out on the 15th of each month. And what's today? Uh, the 19th. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So on the 15th, I got you know this, e- this great email and I received $462 in interest payments. Nice, and buddy. Yeah, I'm excited. This is great. It's like month- it's, this is like the first monthly income I've had in three years. It feels amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the way it works is the, in the dividend payments are not being reinvested. Are they just going into your account or how does that work? I actually have the automated investing still set on. I'm comfortable with this because it's it's only nine month windows uh, or up nine to twelve month windows. So if it goes back into loans, I'm okay with that. But I don't have enough. So my minimum investment that I set up my automated uh, investing for is three thousand dollars. That means each loan I'm extending, I'm putting a minimum of three thousand in. So because I only have four hundred and sixty two dollars in interest, there's not enough money to automatically invest. So I might I might see how it goes for the next the next term, like the next. Uh, dividend term, which will be the 15th of next month, and then decide if I want to keep the automated investing on or start withdrawing some of the cash. Okay, so I am logged into Pure Street now. Uh, I, so mm-hmm. I used your link, Sam, so I can get the uh, extra 1% uh, yield for your referral. Ooh, so th- ooh. thanks for that. Uh, if thanks, anyone buddy. wants to kind of just follow along and check it out, if you go to investlikeaboss.com slash Pure Street or probably easier is just to click the show notes of this episode, which is episode 13, or click the resources page uh, on investlikeaboss.com. You can make a PeerStreet account uh, using, right now it's Sam's link, uh, and he gets, I think, an extra 1% uh, on his next investment, and you get an extra 1% yield on your next investment as well, which is great because it's win-win for everyone. Um, Instead of getting, let's say, 8% APR, you'll get 9% on, on that first First loan, uh, so there's no reason not to do it. Uh, however, uh, just to let everyone know, uh, 
Pure Street right now um, is for accredited investors only. So if you try to make an account and you fill out the, the survey and you make either less than $200,000 a year or you have a net worth of less than a million dollars, you will get rejected. I think to protect their butts, they can only approve accredited investors. So make sure that you check that you make either over $200,000 or that you have more than a million dollars in net worth. But once you get inside, it's pretty cool because you can see uh, all the different available investments uh, as well as the ones that have just closed. Um, I'll go ahead and actually just make a screenshot of this and I'll put it in the show notes of Mm -hmm. this episode, so episode 13. Uh, And I think what we'll also do is if you guys are on the mailing list at investlikeaboss.com, we'll send out like updated screenshots kind of whenever we invest into a new uh, Pure Street uh, property and then you can kind Mm -hmm. of see, okay, this is what Sam invested in or this is what Johnny invested in and maybe we'll jump on that as well. So Johnny, did you, were you able to get into the platform and make an investment or are you still waiting? So I'm in, I got to the platform for, but right now there's only one loan that's available. Uh, and this mm-hmm. one is a single family residential house in East Hampton, New York. Uh, and you know, so this one is available. It is, it pays 8%, which is great. And I'll get 9%. So I'll get, I'll get that extra 1% because I used your link. The mm-hmm. loan to value ratio is 71%, mm-hmm. which means, you know, and you know what's great about this, even if you never end up even investing, this is a great way to start learning real estate because oh, definitely. You, know, you have to kind yeah. of start, you know, looking up these, these terms, like what is loan to value ratio? What, what is LTV? And basically it means how much of, the, the loan is, you know, what percentage of it is, is um, like, is covered by the equity and how, how much is not. So, in yep. an LTV ratio, uh, a higher percentage is actually worse. So, I think he, he, he goes into it a little bit more in the episode. So, stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but 71% is actually not bad. I think he said that he they cap it at 75. So, they never want the loan to be too high of, uh, of the investment because the higher the percentages, the riskier it is. And I talked to Mario, uh, my CPA, who was on the show previously, and he said 75% LTV is actually quite good. It's it's pretty safe. Yeah, uh, it's great to hear. And some of them actually on here are a little bit lower. I, there's one that's even um, a 62% that's been funded yeah. recently. Yeah, I'm looking at one that's thir- 31% in uh, Los Angeles. So there's some that are, are extremely conservative as well. Yeah. What's great is the terms are also pretty low. There's some that are 24 months, but this one I see now that's available is 11 months. Which mm-hmm. means in, you know, in a year or less than a year, you get you get your money back. So if I wanted to invest in this, I can see a picture of the house. I can see the you know the type of property. I can see how much the loan amount is, uh, how many months are left, what the value per square foot of the house, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms. It's it's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. And you know what's fun on some of these things as well is when you invest with friends on these types of platforms, like John, if you invest in this, then on the 15th, whenever we're together, we're like, ding, 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 we get our dividend email, we got paid, and then we go out and have beer and a nice dinner on it, you know? Yeah, I like that. You know, I think this is a great way to be able to, you know, kind of protect your your investment because it's backed by real estate, but also start getting paid out those dividends. So instead of the money kind of just sitting there, you know, like like as much as I love Vanguard, the dividends are only once a quarter, and the dividends mm-hmm. aren't you know a huge amount. They're not you know they're not paying you eight percent dividends. Right, and it's kind of generally well, especially like us, if we're in Vanguard, we're reinvesting it back into the stocks. It's not like you ever really see those dividends. Like you can go in and see the transaction history and see those, but with this, it's just like a big amount, or I mean, a sizable amount 
relative to your investment size coming back into your account in the form of essentially cash, right? So it's much more, it feels a lot more like a payday compared to a Vanguard where you kind of really don't see it and it's going right back into the funds. Yeah, and if you wanted to, you can set it so, and, and I'm assuming this is correct, you can set it so it actually just pays you out every every single month, right? I would imagine so. I mean, it goes into your cash account uh, in the platform, and then you can probably set it up to just automatically withdraw every month or something. I don't know. I haven't looked into that uh, detail yeah, yet. Yeah, or, or I mean, if anything else, you can always just with, go in and withdraw it every month. Right. And that way you yeah, can use course. it as basically cash flow. So if you're retired uh, or, or if you have all your money invested and you want to be able to you know, kind of figure out, okay, how much money do I need to have invested in this for where 8% can cover all my expenses? You know, is it mm-hmm. you know 300,000, you know, what's that amount and you can kind of work towards that uh so i'm curious are you individually choosing uh the loans like like right now this this you know the single family house in um in new york are you automatically going to invest in that or are you like pick and choosing what type of investments you want to go into no i have mine set up to automated investing so i i kind of emulated a strategy that was created by uh, a blog oh you know mr money mustache right so I just emulated his strategy, which was take the, the highest LTVs along with the shortest term, which would give you typically the highest, the highest rate of return. And so I have mine set up to that and the lowest, uh, my minimum is 3000 And right now, so I've, I've invested about 150000 into the platform and I have only six, about 6,000 with outstanding. So that last 6,000 still hasn't gone into loans, but as soon as a, a new loan's on the platform that's a match, then it'll be, it'll be automatically done. Okay, nice. I think what I'm gonna do for my first loan, I'm, I'm definitely gonna invest in Pierce. I think in the beginning, I'm just gonna pick and choose. Just I, I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. I may get into that, that automatic route in the future, but I think for right now, I'm just gonna be like, oh, you know, let me, let me, let me just look at the house. I want to maybe invest in like a multi-family instead of a single family. Yeah, yeah of some rich yeah. guy in the Hamptons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a more interesting selecting. You can be a little bit more selective here versus I think on something like Lending Club, where it's I guess I don't know. I mean, I've never selected manually in Lending Club, but I feel like it would be less interesting. Yeah, because it's only a twenty-five um, dollar loan, so you're not mm-hmm. gonna go through and, and be that selective with it. So Lending Club, I definitely would, if you're gonna use it, I would recommend. Man, just turning on the the auto investing and, and setting your, you know, setting kind of your 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 terms, your you know your mm-hmm. preferences. Because in general, if you if you go through Lending Club, and I think that was actually one of the the big stories about that is if you can go through and kind of individually select the type of loans that you want to give out mm-hmm. through your automatic investment portfolio. In general, you might get higher returns, but I I, I didn't so. It's, yeah. I guess, it's kind of a kind of a luck as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I would definitely also encourage the, their listeners to take a look at at the co-founders of Pier Street's background. Really interesting Brett background. Brett was uh, was the founder of Urchin, which was acquired by Google and became Google Analytics, and went on to become a product manager for a lot of Google's you know most mainstream products like Drive. So there's a lot of there's a lot of technology under the hood of Pier Street that makes it much more scalable and the their vetting process of of properties is really cool so you can't see everything that's under the hood obviously by looking at the website but just because of their background you know there's some there's some serious systems in place to uh, to make this more much more of a, a well vetting and scalable machine yeah and i think one of the reasons why it's gonna scale faster or be better in a lot of aspects than that things like lending club is with 
Lending Club, when you log into it, it's customer facing and investor facing, which means mm-hmm. the only loans that they're they're getting are people that are going to LendingClub.com and asking for a loan. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard for them to kind of focus on one person or the other. So they're kind of they're kind of focusing on both people putting money into Lending Club as well as people needing to get loans. Mm-hmm. While Peer Street, what what I like about them is when you log into PeerStreet.com. They, or if you want to use Sam's link, which will give you that extra bonus if you ever do invest, uh, when you go in, they will, they automatically assume you are investing, uh, you're an investor. Mm-hmm. What they do is they go out and, and buy these mortgages uh, on the back end. So using their algorithms, they select the best ones. So they don't really care if you were going to uh, Peer Street. They don't need to attract customers uh, to take out loans through Peer Street. Mm-hmm. And I think in general, that's going to help them scale a lot bigger because they have a lot more choice than just trying to you know attract customers to their website. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I like that. Uh, I think this is also a really good complement to the last episode of Fundrise um, because they're they're essentially both real estate. This is peer to peer lending backed by real estate, whereas Fundrise is more direct investment in real estate. So I think the episodes really flow well together. They're different categories in a sense, but there's a lot of overlap. So it's uh, there's a lot of good knowledge to be taken out of both to build up your knowledge and, and overall uh, capacity with regards to real estate investing. I love it. So guys, enjoy the episode. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Invest Like a Boss. Today I'm joined with Brett Crosby, the co-founder and COO of the new lending platform, Peer Street. Brett, thanks a lot for coming on the show. We're excited to have you. Yeah, happy to do it, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to this. Uh, there's a lot of news and a lot of hype out there right now about peer-to-peer lending in general. And just to give the listeners a little bit of background before we go into the industry, do you mind chatting a little bit about what Peer Street is? Yeah, happy to do it. First of all, really cool to be on here, and I appreciate you guys uh, talking about us over the last couple of podcasts and also signing up and trying it out. It's always interesting to talk, you know, I'm out there talking about Peer Street all the time and oftentimes people have no idea what we're doing. And mm-hmm. so the fact that you've already been on the platform, you've signed up, you've tried it out, you actually get what the user experience is like, I think that'll really help kind yeah. of speed things up. But yeah, for your audience who hasn't tried it yet, yeah, basically Peer Street is an investment platform for investing in real estate-backed loans where you get to basically kind of be the bank and you get to reap the benefits of uh, these loans or uh, put the bank in quotes because banks don't actually make these types of loans. Mm. And it's been actually very hard to access these loans for most individual investors in the past. And that's one of the things that Peer Street is doing is really making it uh, much easier to invest in this asset class. Mm -hmm. But also we've brought the ability to diversify in this asset class in a way that's really never been available to anyone. Yeah, I like it. And there's there's a lot of noise out there about the peer-to-peer lending industry, both in good ways. I think there's a lot of people jumping in right now. And then there's, of course, some turmoil with, with Lending Club recently. Have you guys seen any type of impact on that, both positive or negative? Yeah, <laughs> that was so unexpected mm-hmm. and, and pretty tragic. I mean, that, it was a great company. All the press was good. They were doing really well public and you know they're still public but it was it's mostly like self-inflicted wounds unfortunately but uh basically you know someone phrased it to me the other day it's like lending club dropped a grenade in the room (laughs) and you know and so it's impacted everyone in a certain uh, aspect Mm -hmm. in 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 one way it's negative because obviously it paints the entire industry for people who see it uh, who, who can't really kind of tease out the differences it paints it all with a negative brush when you see stuff like that happening but 
the stuff that happened there could have happened really at any company and really because they are a marketplace lender mm-hmm. it probably was found out about quite a bit faster than if it was you know if you imagine this was like in the early 2000s like this stuff well, similar stuff was probably happening at banks it just took them years to figure out you know it'd be yeah. way further down the line before it was figured out but as far as Pier Street you know we had always been out there trying to push Pier Street and tell the story and just explain what we're doing I say push very lightly but mm-hmm. you know just just push the story of Pier Street and why we think it's a better asset class and people are always like yeah I get what Lending Club and Prosper do and uh, oh so you're like that but you're a better asset class we're like mm-hmm. yeah that's that's right and so people would be like okay well maybe I'll try it out or I'll migrate over What's happened is we've seen just a much faster kind of like increase in that um, velocity of people moving over. And a lot of people, you know, individuals, institutions, RIAs, funds of various sizes, reaching out and saying, hey, we were doing business with Lending Club and, you know, we were in, just more broadly in the peer-to-peer lending space. And now and we'd heard about you guys, but now it's time to really mm-hmm. – um, get serious with you guys. So that's, it's been a sort of counterintuitive windfall to our business, right. you know, their problem. So I looked at the actual like issues with, or I guess the news. And like you said, it seemed like it could happen to anybody. It didn't seem like it really put their, the integrity of their loans in question per se. Yeah. But that's right. It was like the integrity of the company. Not right. the yeah. And it, 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 so when I started looking into like the whole scandal thing, I didn't really, it didn't, for me, it, it wasn't a big negative or a big, oh, I got to get out of this, but it may have put, their loans under a little bit more of a microscope. And yep. because so many people are jumping into peer-to-peer lending, I think, like you said, they may have just taken a deeper look at to the actual loans that are being li- uh, given, some of the default rates. I know that was some in my network. All the people that started peer-to-peer lending first were going on Lending Club. And their returns were, were pretty good, so they never really questioned the default rates. But for me, that was always the big scare was – the default rates, a lot of times they'll, they'll have default rates of like 9%, 10% in these accounts. And then what happens in a, in a real uh, turbulent market or a recession? So that's what always scared me. And I think maybe that, like you said, may have been one of the, the reasons that people kind of jumped on board with you because in a, in a turbulent environment, I think people would have a lot more faith in your asset class versus kind of unsecured. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, and as soon as people started to see the bigger cracks, I, I, I do. I think you're right. They weren't as concerned about Lending Club's asset, but the company as a whole. Mm-hmm. But and then generally, they're just like, I think people are thinking, hey, there is a better asset class out there now in the real estate side of the world. And just so people understand what I'm saying, it's you know basically when you invest on Pier Street, the investments, the yield is favorable to what you would get with like a Lending Club or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but our defaults are, uh, we've had zero defaults to date. And, you know, that will change over time for sure. <laughs> it's as worth, you, it's as worth repeating, Brett, zero defaults today, right? Because yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. And, and part of that has, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. And we've also had zero losses to customers. And we've had all of our payments made and mm-hmm. et cetera. So, yeah, there have been late payments and, and things like that happen in lending, right? But right. generally, it's a great asset class. The other thing that's important, so it competes favorably with Lending Club on yield. The term is actually shorter of our deals. So instead of Lending Club's 36 months, our platform-wide average is about uh, just north of 10 months right now. Mm-hmm. And you see everything from six months up to, you know, some deals go up to a couple of years. I think our longest deal may have been up to 36 months. But there's a broad spectrum that you can invest in as far as term. But the main thing 
and this is important, is that there's actually real estate backing up the loan. So if the borrower doesn't pay back the loan, then we can go in on behalf of our investors, foreclose on the property, and if need, you know, if necessary, foreclose on it and, and sell it, right? And that's sort of a last step solution mm-hmm. in a process of workout scenarios. But that that's the the benefit of this asset class and why, you know, I personally believe, and I know my co-founder Brew Johnson personally believes that this is like one of the best risk-adjusted returns of any asset class. Yeah, I like it. And what you just described about being able to foreclose on the property on behalf of the investors, is that what is considered a first lien or titled a first lien? Uh, the first lien, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that. It just means you're first in line to get paid back if something mm-hmm. goes wrong on the loan. So if you're second, mm-hmm. uh, you make it a higher interest rate in a second, but you can get completely wiped out if there's a default and you have to go in and actually foreclose on the property, et cetera. And mm-hmm. the borrower's not going to pay back. You foreclose on the property. And then with the fees and all that stuff that adds up, like the, the a second yeah. could, or a third sometimes happens, you could get wiped out. So yeah, Pure Street only deals, at least up to this point and, and as far as the foreseeable future, um, we only deal in first position liens because it's the safest mm-hmm. part of the capital stack. And, and by capital stack, sorry to use industry jargon, but mm-hmm. that just means like, um, you know, someone has put equity in the deal, that's the, you know, it's like if you're getting a mortgage on your house, you put like 20% down or whatever. That's the equity. That's the riskiest part of the investment. And then the bank has the, you know, 80% right. loan. And that's the that's the mm-hmm. safer part. And you might get a second and that would be the even riskier than the bank's piece. So the bank gets paid, paid first. Someone else takes the additional risk. And then you're the riskiest position is the equity. Um, that's yeah. on your own property. With investing in Pure Street, on the other hand, you're that safest position. Gotcha. So as you said, inevitably, over the course of time, it's we're bound to have one default on the platform. Sure. What would that look like, actually? I know you just kind of described it, but if you take us just a little bit into the detail sure. of the process that the listeners could understand. Absolutely. And I should also, <laughs> I should probably, we might have wanted to talk about this in the beginning, but I should preface that, you know, my background is primarily in tech. So up until a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, this was a lot of what I know now was fairly new to me. So I can be in your kind of listener's shoes at the same time. But that being said, we have a ton of people with workout experience in the company like all of our, the whole real estate team, you know, many of them have, they worked out entire portfolios during the downturn. You know, they were doing business before the 08 downturn. They helped do a ton of workouts mm-hmm. after it, et cetera. Uh, and then also my co-founder, Brew, is a re- former real estate attorney with a lot of experience doing that too. So, but here's what happens is, so, so say we have a loan on Pier Street that people invest in, and then the borrower, for whatever reason, is not able to pay back that loan. And a typical situation would be, the loan was uh, like 12 months and the, and the borrower ran out of money and is now trying to sell the property. But, you know, that takes a little bit of time. Well, what would happen is they would go into default and then we would start working with that borrower to try and come up with a solution um, to get the loan paid off. And there's a variety of potential solutions there. but And each situation can be slightly different and nuanced. Mm-hmm. But basically, we'd try and come up with a plan for them to pay off the loan. And if they can't, do, we would put them in default, and at some point, we would be able to foreclose and take back the property. And let's just assume that none, none of our efforts to work with the borrower were successful along the way. Then we would be able to foreclose on the property, sell it, return the money to investors, and then if, um, pay any 
interest payments and additional money on top of that to investors. I like it. And I think just just to echo the significance of it compared to a lot of other lending platforms in the peer-to-peer space that aren't secured, it feels like the people who get the loans and default, they just get off clean. I have no idea. I haven't I haven't looked into it in that much detail, but I just look at Johnny's account and some of my other friends' account that have Lending Club or Prosper accounts and you know, they have default rates of eight, nine percent. And it's just it's built into the returns basically at, at this point for them. But I just like it almost is kind of just bothers you on a personal level that it's like people just borrowed money from you and they're just gone and then there's like no recourse, at least that you have. So I, I was always very drawn to this. As soon as I heard about Pier Street and that it was backed by there's a few things that drew me to it. One was like you said, it was the length of only having 12 months. And like you said, most of those are actually under 12 months. So I have my account now set to, to 12 months max. It was the fact that you guys had zero defaults to date and that it's secured by, by real estate. All the things you just said, um, and I'll just throw in the founder's experience. I found your experience previously with Google especially attractive because we're always looking for technical innovate, uh, innovations and, and new modern ways to invest that are disruptive and also more appealing to a younger audience. Yeah, that's that's cool. I appreciate that. And you, you're you the brains behind Google Urchin, uh, right? Yeah, Urchin, which became Google Analytics. Exactly. Yeah, amazing. One of everyone's favorite tools. <laughs> yeah, I know. A lot of people like it. It's funny, though, um, as you mix these industries, some, a lot of times I'm talking to audiences and they don't, they've never heard of it, which coming mm-hmm. from my world is, is, is kind of crazy, but hey, that's yeah, <laughs> that's good. Spreading the gospel even further, but yeah, my I I was co-founder of a company called Urchin Software Corporation in the late '90s, and then we were acquired by Google in 2000. We were, that was early in the web analytics space. Built that built up that mm-hmm. company. We got acquired by Google in '05 and turned that into Google Analytics. And then basically, I spent the next decade at Google doing Google Analytics, mobile ads. Uh, I helped launch a lot of the social initiative, and then at the time mm-hmm. I left, I was running growth and global marketing for chrome gmail docs and drive oh, all of all of my favorite yeah, tools. A lot of good, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just throw pier street in there yeah now. exactly that's and that's the thing is like a lot of my background doesn't seem like it really fits this space but really what it there there are a few things that really fit and at the core are what we're all about and that's providing transparency providing uh better tools for users to be able to you know do things that haven't been done been able to do before opening up marketplaces and building platforms and launching those, finding product market fit with those, and then using the ecosystem in a very positive way. That's something that's pretty unique to Peer Street's model. And I've written about this in a couple of places before, but you can look at our the Peer Street blog. And I have this post where I talk about this thing we call uh, the fishing boat strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we did at Urchin, and that's something we're applying here as well. Yeah, I would recommend anyone who's listening to take a look at the Pier Street website as well and, and look at their About Us page. There's some very soothing photos of Manhattan Beach that just make you want to jump in and be part of the uh, the platform. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I'm, so, I'm glad you feel it. By the way, we, we did also launch a new explainer video that will be up on the uh-huh. website probably around the time this airs and then within the next Great. week. And then uh, and that is um, like in a minute, it tells you everything, not everything you need to know, but like tries to cover as much ground as possible uh, from a big picture perspective. Nice. We'll be sure to share that in the show notes. How did you and and your co-founder, Brew Johnson, get together on this to create this? Yeah, that's a great question. Brew and I knew each other in college, actually, and we've been buddies ever since. And we both were international relations majors, and then he was like a 
history major also, and I was a international relations and political science major. So again, nothing to do with anything we're doing now. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. but we got to pay a lot. Of How it typically months, works out, which was sweet. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, and then, uh, Bru- but Bruce got a really interesting background, and he's he's a great great guy. That's why I stayed friends with him and was buddies with him in college. But um, you know, I, I went kind of the tech route, and Brew went, and he was going to do. He he became a lawyer and was going to help. It was his plan was going to tech and do IPOs, but it, around the time that he got out of law school, the whole uh, dot com implosion happened, and so it, mm-hmm. the law firm he was with is like, okay, you can do this other like, it was like uh, labor law, or you can do real estate law. He's like, okay, I'll do real estate law. So we did that, and then shortly thereafter, he got poached by one of the biggest firms, Allen Matkins, which is like on the West Coast, the biggest real estate law firm. And he was in that for several years in that firm, and kind of worked his way up and was doing great. But he kept seeing, he got really obsessed with what was, with what was driving the the speed of the real estate market was really, you know, it was obviously becoming a bubble, and and he got kind of obsessed with the whole securitization market because that's really what was driving the whole thing. And he saw the whole thing as like he's like, this is not sustainable. It's not going to work. And so he's he was trying to advise his clients not to do some of the deals they were doing and they were like, What, you're crazy? Like and so they started calling mm-hmm. Bubble Boy around the office and all that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> So he ended up quitting and uh, he's like, Okay, I'm just gonna do a vulture phone when the whole thing melts down. Um, but his brother ended up saying, Hey, I need help in this company, virtual tourist that at the time was blowing up in a good way. Yeah. And um mm-hmm. and so he came on as like uh, head of biz dev and also general counsel and he was like, Jerry, you gotta sell this company because like the world's gonna explode financially in a little bit here and uh basically in 08 like i think july was it july 08 or 07 i forget but uh, mm-hmm. he ends up he ended up selling it i think 08 he ended up selling it to expedia so it was like right yeah. before the whole thing imploded i mean just moments before so his timing was very good on that but the cool thing is then he stayed on and got really good operational experience a real internet kind of juggernaut of a company that's awesome such such great backgrounds for both of you thanks for sharing it's really interesting to hear and with your guys tech background i, I imagine there is significant, I would just say a big engine under the hood of Pier Street. Is that kind of safe to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a half the company is in product and engineering. And the engineering side of the house, yeah, there's a tremendous amount. It's funny because, you know, I've heard people say, like, hey, in fintech, where's the tech? And I get that. Like, I look a lot of, I look at it a lot of in this <laughs> space too. And some of them, there's, it's a lot of, a lot of what you've seen in kind of quote unquote fintech is people take offline business models and just bring them online. Yeah. Most people yeah, approach a space that we're in have taken offline lending and they're just like oh we'll do lending we'll just do it the same way but we'll do it online and find borrowers through like mm-hmm. keyword buying and stuff like that and it's like okay well that's fine but that's not that it's like there's some innovation but not a tremendous amount so if you go deep in our business model about how we work with lenders and basically we're like a secondary market for lenders and then a marketplace for investors to invest in those loans you know but it's a very curated market we use a ton of technology to vet the loans and to vet the lenders to make the whole process scalable we have a whole bunch of data you know if you want a buzzword you know big data that we <laughs> that we yeah. analyze loans against but it's mm-hmm. it's important because it allows us to have you know, 20 years of data in every submarket that we can stress test a loan against. And then we also have a bunch of data uh, that will forecast against the loan. So it can say, you know, would it have survived worst case scenario over the last 20 years? Mm-hmm. And by the way, different submarkets have different sort of negative inflection points of like when their worst case scenario was. Like right. if you're in areas affected by the dot-com bus, that's one point in time. If your area is really affected by the 08 
meltdown. That's a different spot. Mm-hmm. If you're in like oil-rich areas, that's a different place where there's been booms and busts. But, so you can see all that stuff, and you want to make sure the loans are gonna would survive. And then also you look at the forecast and say, how are they doing against that forecast? Um, and so we have a, a whole bunch of technology that helps us operationally with all of our lender partners onboard their loans, vet their loans, and then get you know re-underwrite their loans because we double check everything before we put it live, mm-hmm. and then put it live on the platform. And of course, we have this whole retail platform for people to go invest on. That is, you know, we've also put a lot of work into. And when you sign up, and I'd be curious, Sam, what your thoughts are on this. But the other, it's one thing is technology. This we're trying to not hide, but like kind of, you know, as mm-hmm. has been said many times before, like. If it's good technology, it sort of fades into the background, right? And really, it's the experience kind of comes through. So we're trying to do that. But also, there's a ton of legal and compliance and regulatory stuff that you know that we have to make sure that we're compliant with the sign-up experience and all that. So we've worked extremely hard to make that as easy as possible, but still be obviously very compliant and hit all the regulatory things that we need to hit in the process. Yeah, I like it. Very interesting stuff on the, on the background and the technology. There's a, a lot of people kind of speculating on a peer-to-peer lending bubble. And I was just listening to what you said about how you vet the properties. And I would imagine the only way that a bubble could actually get into the space, I'm, I'm not a financial advisor or, or, or an economist, but I would think the only way it would happen is if certain platforms got way too greedy and started allowing loans to come on the platform that were not quality or not even qualified to be on the loan, which would and a lot of people that are doing automatic investing with these platforms could just get in, put, put way too much money into bad loans kind of all at the same time. But I would think as long as there's a balance of people willing to loan money and qualified loans, then there shouldn't actually be any type of bubble forming. But again, I'm not an economist. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I'm no economist either. I think there's probably a few different ways it could go. That's a pretty interesting one. I'd say the bigger concern I have would be just that you see housing bubbles in general and the and mm. pricing bubbles that kind of drive the market. And that's what you saw in the run-up to 08. You know, we've taken a lot of the learnings from what happened and what went wrong in 08. Mm-hmm. We've tried to take those kind of negative learnings and apply them in a way that that turns them into positive learning so that our investors are not caught in something like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, at the same time, we have tried to take a lot of the positives from the, it's like, you know, we call it the securitization market in general, but a lot of the negatives from it and a lot of the positives of the securitization market and applied it in a way that makes it, you know, like for example, the ability for people to invest, you know, $1,000 minimum in each deal that's something that just wasn't available before. So like being making that, taking those kind of things are good. But the other things are, you know, we have a public profile for all of our lenders. You can see who made the loan. So it's not this mm-hmm. super opaque model. We have a maximum, you know, we have conservative underwriting guidelines with a maximum of uh, 75% LTV. And we mm-hmm. have all these other requirements that are in our underwriting guidelines, you know, about every things about the borrower, the lenders we work with, their backgrounds, the borrower's backgrounds. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff like that. And, you know, because of that platform wide, we're right now at a, I believe it's 63% LTV platform wide for all, that's for all mm-hmm. the deals we've done. So if you invested in every single deal, that's what your average LTV would look like. And that means there's a, you know, you have a pretty good equity cushion above you that, so if something does go wrong, you know, we model it out, like, We've done modeling on full Armageddon scenarios, and we still feel very good about what losses look like. I like it. I like to hear that type of planning. The 63% LTV, I again, this is relatively new to me, but I've heard anything under 75% is fairly conservative and generally considered pretty safe. How do how did you go about actually pricing the homes or coming up with a, a basis for value, valuing the different properties that are part of the platform? 
or secured by the platform. Right, exactly. Yeah, we use third parties to do that, and we do that mm-hmm. very intentionally because you know our lender partners where we source loans they want to tell you one uh, one appraisal and that's fine and they probably they generally will get an appraisal that will say this is what it was some will use the purchase price and oftentimes the borrowers in this asset class get under market purchase price so it's actually a pretty good you know favorable appraisal to use um but we don't use that. Uh, what mm-hmm. we generally will use is um, we will use a third party. And we do this because it's part of our process, but also just to maintain the integrity of the process, mm-hmm. right? Like we get a third party. We don't tell them what we expect it to be. We just say, hey, we need um, someone to go out, look at the property, tell us what it's worth, look at the other comps in the area, and then they come back, give us that. And that's what we use for the valuation. So good. like it a lot. And I'm, I'm just looking at my positions right now. Um, it looks like the majority of my positions are in California. Yeah, I would say probably 80% are in California. Is there some appeal to that market through Pier Street or is it just a matter of volume that's coming on? That's a good question. We Generally, we're more weighted in California. There mm-hmm. are two major reasons for that. Number one, we started. We were in California. We started here. We know a lot more lenders here. They're easier for mm-hmm. us to access. But number two, this market of private lending is bigger in California generally Ah, uh, than other states. But there are private lenders. There are thousands of them scattered throughout the country. And there's private lenders in like every town and city, municipality throughout the um, throughout the country, it's uh, mm-hmm. and some of them are quite small, lending their own capital. Others are very big and operate like a private equity fund, you know, and very are very professional. And so, what we do is go and find the high quality operators and vet them, and then bring them on the platform. By the way, I don't know, I don't know if you want any, <laughs> if you want to talk about your specific deals at all, but I can give you some very general info if you care to hear about. Sure, them. no, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I would love to hear. Uh... Super, super high level stuff. So, okay. <laughs> as long as you're okay with this, I guess you. Yeah, no, please. No, I've already shared this screenshot of my dashboard with, with all the listeners. So, yeah, it'd be good to go into anything you can share on it, would be awesome. Yeah. So, you're in currently 16 loans. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Uh, looks like that's, it. Yeah. That's I have it on auto investing as well. Yeah. And that, that's mm-hmm. great. Automated investing is, I think, a great, it, to me, it's a great tool. I mean, just so your mm-hmm. listeners know, you can go in and click and invest in any, you know, you can, you can basically look, there's very, there's a long detail page on every deal and you can go deep on it. You can invest, you know, from a thousand bucks up to whatever's left in the, mm-hmm. in the loan, or you can set automated investing and basically say, I want this much allocated to each loan that matches these parameters. And we will basically say, okay, you have an allocation of that loan, and if you you have up to twenty four hours to cancel, otherwise we'll consider that that live. And so that's that's basically what automated investing does. That's kind of more of a set it and forget it model, and just kind of review once you have a spot already held for you for that amount. I personally am a big fan of that. I consider it like a wealth front for this asset class. Yep. Yep. That thing versus like a, an E trade or something where you go in and kind of select individual deals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's kind of how I think about. Yeah, it. on the on the last episode we talked about because Johnny and I both have Wealthfront accounts and E trade accounts and Vanguard, and Wealthfront is destroying Vanguard, which is kind of us selecting funds. Which is destroying E Trade, which is us selecting stocks. Yeah. So we're big on this this automated kind of robo style. Um, in investing. Yeah, I am too. I know yeah. Adam Nash is an investor. He's the CEO of Wealthfront. He's an investor in the mm-hmm. company and he is such a smart guy that, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, when I first met with him, I was like, I'd love to have this guy involved because um, I, the guy just knows what he's doing. I, I yeah. think, I mean, you know, I, and I'm endorsing him, not necessarily all of his products or everything else, but he is, he, I find him to be a really, really bright guy. Yeah, definitely. Okay, a couple more things on your 
portfolio. We've got three other numbers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your average, uh, your weighted average rate is 8.9% yield, mm-hmm. expected mm-hmm. yield. Aver- uh, weighted average term is 11 months, and your weighted average LTV is 62.5%. So, you know, you're basically, you're almost getting 9% uh, return for average LTV of 62.5%. That is, you know, our, our max goes up to 75, but it, as you use automated investing, it'll get you in a, a broad mix of things. Mm-hmm. So that's, look, in my personal opinion, that is a, that's a very, very good place to be uh, okay. from an investing perspective. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you had, you know, almost a 40% cushion on top of your investment and you're still getting that kind of yield, it's like, that, that feels pretty good. There's like 40, well, let's be exact, 37.5% wiggle room yeah. on top of you for things to go wrong. You know, and you I think mean, that the worst downturns no, didn't do anything near that uh, for the most part, and especially... You know, maybe in a very specific area or two, things like that happen. But for it to go across the board, it would be very, very unusual. Right? No, I think it's I think it's unbelievable. I mean, this is the best type of I don't I forget how you termed it, but taking risk into consideration, the type of return, and to have your money liquid within one year. I think it's I think it's amazing. I started a lending club account and then I put it on automated investing. Yeah. And then literally stopped it three minutes later. I'm like, nah, I just don't want my money tied up for 36 months. It just, yeah. and, and, and with the, and with the risk involved, not knowing if there's a recession, how those, those loans are going to perform. So I'm very optimistic with this. Um, I just started this count. What about in June? Most of my, my loans are middle of June. They got vested. Yeah. So what the dividend pays out or the yield pays out monthly or quarterly? Mm-hmm. The, your interest payments, basically what it is, is like um, uh, these are generally, uh, there are a few loans that are a little different than this and more bespoke and specific, mm-hmm. but generally what happens is these are interest-only payments until the payoff of the loan as a balloon payment at the end. And if you think about mm-hmm. that, so the borrower needs the money, right? They're trying to fix up a property and then sell it. They need the money to fix it up. They can pay interest on it as they're fixing it up, but then they need the capital to invest in the property. And then once it sells, they pay off the loan. So yeah, the these are uh, basically you're getting interest payments each month, and we mm-hmm. pay those out on the fifteenth and the whatever the last day is of each month. And the reason we do that, this is a pretty new thing, so it's just worth noting, is um, we used to just pay them out as we got them, but it made for very sporadic payments. You're getting, you just kind of could get payments every day, and it was a bit mm-hmm. random and hard to keep track of. Yeah. And also you're getting, you know, for the, you know, as you get into 16, 20, 50 loans, you're just getting emails all the time from us. And it's hard to tell like what are, which ones to pay attention to. So we've made it much more consistent and we generally are actually paying earlier. So as soon as the, we use a payment servicer to get the payments and as soon as they're saying, okay, we got payment, which then to get the money from them to us can take a a little bit of time. Once they tell us they got the payment, we just go ahead and basically put it virtually in in customers' Mm. accounts. So that's that's how that works. And then it allows it for faster payoffs and then more consistent and more easier to track and kind of less email and all that stuff. So you said dividends come in on the 15th. So today's the 12th. So it looks like Friday, I'll be treating some friends to beers. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) Oh, and I'd love to be in Manhattan Beach right now. So this, I'm just trying to look at if we missed any anything important for the listeners. Oh, do you have any idea how many loans have been given across the platform since you guys started? I believe it's about 209. I think that's a number we went through today. But by the time this airs, it'll probably be, I, I don't know, whatever. I mean, we have new loans coming up almost every day. And oftentimes, it'll be like three or four a day. So 
um, it's pretty rapid and the pace has been accelerating. So if you kind of map that out over time, that's not necessarily mm-hmm. a clear picture of how fast it's really, we've had this very accelerated pace, especially over the last six months. And to date, we've done, you know, we just announced 75 million had been invested on the platform. We're wow. well into the eighties now into the high eighties and you know, we'll be crossing the hundred million on the platform in no time. Wow. Congratulations. I know that. So we spent a lot of time up in Northern Thailand. There's, there's kind of three major remote independent or I would say location independent hubs for entrepreneurs. There's Medellin, Colombia, Bali, and, uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand. So we've been spending a lot of time in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and there's a whole network there. And there's a lot of people that we're talking about Peer Street up there, a lot of people to do peer, peer lending. So that's how I, I actually heard about it. And I was trying to find a strategy for investing the initial amount of money that I put in, into the platform. And then I, I think I, I doubled it or, or put additional in. And where I found the information was a, a blog called Mr. Money Mustache. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them. Me? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I hosted Pete. Love, love yeah, Mr. Money. Yeah, that's great. I, so I followed their stuff. And so basically, I just followed his strategy, which was set it to automated investing, put it up to 75% LTV, and just use the shortest date. And I, and then the other thing I was trying to figure out was how much, if depending on how much money you're going to invest, how much to break that into and mm-hmm. what type of loan allotments. So it looked like he didn't say this specifically, but just by kind of reverse engineering it, he did 20% of the total he was investing into individual loans. So he ended up having like five loans. So I just followed that. And I I don't know if there's there's a right way to do it or not, but it seems like with peer-to-peer lending, even though you guys have never had a loss or a default, it still makes sense to probably spread it out instead of putting all of your, your money into one or two different loans. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of this is that, look, if there's one loan you really like, you can go deep into it, but that's maybe not taking the best advantage of the something that we've brought to bear in this mm-hmm. in this asset class, and that is the ability to diversify, not just in loan, in multiple loans, but that that's certainly one thing, but across multiple geographies. And by the way, as we've expanded we're going into a bunch of other geographies we're currently in 14 states and mm-hmm. i believe although it might be 15 now but that we're we're adding new lenders in kind of the key states we want to get into at a pretty rapid clip and then um and so uh, geographies and then also lenders i mean you know in 08 if you looked at a mortgage or let's call it a seven or five or something but if you looked at a, a loan from like wells fargo versus countrywide they might look pretty similar but in the mm-hmm. end one lender is no longer in business and the other one is still quite healthy. And so having diversification across all of those things is important and is something that you know, is just unique and that's there's a reason we put that in place so that yeah you, so you can do that you can spread your money around in ways you never could before. I like it. So Brett we're coming up on time. I know you want to get out to the Manhattan Beach Pier pretty soon. Uh, I just want to <laughs> s- summarize with a a couple just a couple questions. First is for anyone that's out there that's been thinking about getting into peer to peer lending, they want to try it out. Do you have any recommendations for for just a quick look or a quick um, kind of test run on it? Um, yeah, you know, it's funny because most of our users, they sign up. Well, first of all, my first piece of advice was would be to get invited by a friend because but both your friend and you get a yield bump if you do that. You get a 1% yield bump. So if you're going to invest in an 8% loan, you can turn it into a 9% on your first investment, which is cool. You know, it just kind of puts you 
starting out on the right foot. And then if you invite people, same thing. You get it and they get it. So it's like a benefit for both. Second thing is that, yeah, most of our users, they end up, they, they try, you know, they sign up for Peer Street, they try it out, put a little money on and do what we call a toe dip, right? Pretty, mm-hmm. pretty normal thing to do when you're trying something. And then we generally see that within three to six months, people increase their initial toe dip by, or, and their account size it grows by about 300%, sometimes well beyond that. And you know, that said, other people that have heard about us or that kind of get what we're doing or so, sometimes people that are, really understand this industry that are like, wow, I've never been able to do this quite like this before, they come in and they just they put a whole bunch of cash to work right away. Um, so, you know, but all, yeah. all, all on your name, Brad, all on your name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, that, that toe dip, that toe dip says a lot about your platform. It's exactly what I did. I invested money before I ever made any type of yield or dividend. I immediately re-upped it. I think I, I doubled uh, my account size or even tripled it. So it's cool to hear that a lot of people are doing that. And like I said, it speaks volumes about the platform and what you guys have created and your, and your reputation, of course. Cool. I appreciate that. And I also appreciate that uh, you know that you found it. It's cool that you heard about it through like other on. You heard about it through other entrepreneurial networks and stuff like that. And you said in Chiang Mai of all places. Yeah, Chiang Mai. Well, Chiang Mai has become this this massive kind of digital entrepreneur hub. I would say there's there's easily a couple thousand foreigners living up there. And it's have you been up there before? Wait, where is it exactly? Chiang Mai. It's in northern Thailand. No, I've been to Phuket. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're a beach guy. So th- this is the uh, this is more the mountains of Thailand. But it's it's a small town and there's all these kind of solo entrepreneurs, small business startups. And so it's a very tight knit group. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people are starting to get into these these new kind of modern investment platforms because people are are they've now made it on their own now they they're starting to get some passive income and investable income and so everyone's talking about new ways to invest instead of just giving your money to a, a broker or, or trying to buy an investment property right and i should point out that currently it's we can only uh either you like you need a u.s tax id basically to be mm-hmm. able to invest uh on pure mm-hmm. street and that those are for like regulatory purposes but i think if you go through and I may be speaking on a turn here, so please don't like hold me hold this against me if I'm wrong. But <laughs> I think you can go through like there are some funds you can go through. Like I th- we just did an integration with AlphaFlow, which is kind of a cool platform that allows you to invest in you know, platforms like Peer Street. Awesome. Um, and so I think they can handle. I don't know if you can do it through their through their kind of platform thing, but you can do it through. Um, I think they have a fund uh, uh, mm-hmm. that can allow uh, non-US entities to invest in. So anyway, not perfect, but definitely um, worth noting. And then it sounds like I need to make a take a trip to find out about all these like other entrepreneurial areas in the world. That you, well, you you, you, got, you got have a lot of friends there when you come out. Yeah, cool. <laughs> we'll be we'll be we'll be happy to host you anytime. All right. Well, I, I, you know, Brew and I are both we both went on did this thing. There's like one other thing Brew and I have in common. We both uh, did semester at sea. In college oh yeah okay you familiar with that yeah i've heard of it yeah the uh the lack of internet was always the well that was you guys i guess were probably going before the internet was too much of a consideration yeah yeah that's true even those cell phones when we did yeah. but yeah so we definitely have the travel bug and actually one of the reasons Bruce is not on this podcast right now is he's in denmark in copenhagen with his oh. wife's family where uh, where she's from and he's like it's rare that we can get him to take a vacation because the guys you know he, he works super super hard but Mm-hmm. It's good that he's off doing that, and you know. Anyway, he and I both have been bitten very hard by the travel bug. So yeah. Well, you know, the, we we uh, Johnny hosts uh, something called a Nomad Summit every year, um, 
in Chiang Mai. So maybe you guys could come out next year and you could speak at the at the conference and hang out. I think last year we had like seven, eight hundred people, and next year it should be a couple thousand, easy. So it might be a good excuse for you guys to come out and uh, hang out with us in Asia. Sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> Brett, is there is there any other ways that people should find out more about Pure Street outside of just the uh, the video? We'll leave in the show notes and the website. Um, you know, I mean, I would I would say like flip through our blog. There's a lot of pretty mm-hmm. good content in there mm-hmm. and just you can kind of see how fast we've grown see, with, with our milestone announcements kind of the other things that are on our mind and like what's interesting and then you know if you want to follow us on social media it's obviously at pier street on twitter and um you know we're on all the other major social media yeah. so. well we're, we're very much looking forward to seeing where pier street goes in the future and kind of modeling my experience with you guys and sharing all of the insights from what we gain out of the experience so thanks again for coming on the show everyone's really appreciate it and we're looking forward to sharing this episode with everybody cool yeah and thank you very much and the one other thing i should probably say is if people um don't know want more information about any specific deal they're looking at if they do create an account and try it you know you can talk to our real estate analysts you can talk to our account reps and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and people are happy to walk people through it we want to make sure people know what they're investing in and understand each deal they're investing in so that they're yeah, obviously making smart moves with their money. That's important yeah. to us. Yeah, great support team through and through. So uh, again, thanks for everything. And everyone out there, look forward to another episode of Invest Like a Boss next week. Thanks again, Brett. Boom. Thanks, Sam. Man, that was a great episode. Really, really enjoyed that. I'm excited to start investing in Pure Street myself. I've already made an account. So if you haven't already, go ahead and use the link in the show notes. That way you get an extra 1% yield uh, when making your, your first investment. Uh, you can use our link at investlikeaboss.com slash Street, or better yet, just go to investlikeaboss.com and either click the link in the show notes or on the resources page. Uh, big congratulations to this week's winner of the $25 Amazon gift card. Big thank you to Brian Kwan from New York for uh, leaving a review of the podcast. And I'm also really excited that we have new reviews from all around the world and not just mm-hmm. Uh, in the US. So uh, who do we have, Sam? Uh, we got the one from Tonky2 in New Zealand. I love the name. Uh, they say, learn more than I expected. Great work from these two. I love how anyone can listen to these podcasts and pick up new things. I've listened to every episode up to episode 10 and plan to continue. Thanks again. Nice. And also we have Zidan112 from the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. I like it because it does not sound like those rich and fake people. It's casual and very easy to listen to. I enjoyed it a lot. Yesterday, I listened to Empire Flippers and for buying and selling websites, and I wish I knew that two years ago. But now, better than later. I have been following Johnny for quite a bit in Myra's honesty and journey. Sam, I didn't know you before, but you made me laugh when you said you want to have a coffee uh, every day morning with Empire Flippers CEO. You guys are doing a great job, and I'm sharing this podcast with all my fans, friends, and family. Good luck, Khaled Zian. Yeah, really nice. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for leaving the five-star reviews. If you want to enter to win a $25 gift card each and every month, go ahead and go to investlikeaboss.com. Click on bonus, and you'll have all the instructions there. Like a lot. See you guys next week. Peace out. 
Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.